Hi, Mitch. Hi, Andy. You know, listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes podcast is like hanging out with your pals and shooting the shit about some forgotten and maligned classics. That's what I've enjoyed about being on the show, and it's also the pleasure that myself and everyone gets from listening to the show. It's just like the best, and I can't believe there are 100 episodes in the can, including all the mini-sodes. I mean, it's just crazy. So, guys, thanks so much for doing this show, and I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of everyone when I say we love it. Please keep doing it, and here's to the next 100 episodes and more. And to anyone who doesn't listen, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice, because I'll find you and I'll kill you. Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Welcome to Minisode 102 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain. I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Huzzah! How you doing? I'm okay. I'm sore. I've been doing some gardening this week. I've been pulling up some turf because we're getting the front garden re-turfed. Mm-hmm. And I think I've aggravated a long-standing back injury. Oh, really? Um, Do you think so? So I'm feeling a little bit twingy and a bit sore. And I'm getting a bit concerned that if I stop moving for too long... That's me. I'm stuck. Is this why we're going to have an unprecedented eight-minute minisode? <laughs> it could go on for longer than that if I can't go anywhere. Like, I've got nothing to go on to. Yeah, so presumably this is either going to last eight minutes or three hours, depending on how your back holds up. Hey, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm, I'm just concerned that I'm going to be horizontal for a couple of days. <laughs> well, let's hope not. But you've been watching anything this week at all? Yeah. Through the door the other day, Popith Arrow Videos Blu-ray release of Hagazusa. Oh, nice. Okay, cool, cool. This has been on my list on the Arrow channel to get to, uh, but I don't know a massive mm. amount about it. Just a lot of people have recommended it to me. Yeah, it's been on the Arrow Video channel for a little while, I think. Actually, the film's been out for quite a long time. I think it's 2017. Yeah, there or thereabouts. But yeah, it was the first time I'd seen it. And uh, yeah, I really liked it. Really liked it. What's yeah. its deal? What's it about? <laughs> so we're going back to the 15th century here, Mitch. Okay. Right. Chronology hot. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah. And the story is basically about this woman uh, in the 15th century who's kind of ostracized by the community, raising a child on her own, and there's a lot of superstition and a lot of kind of hatred towards her. And as things progress and she gets more and more kind of isolated and things get trippier and trippier and leads to a pretty horrible conclusion. Okay. That is quite a shocking conclusion. Fans of The Witch should like this. Well, I do like The Witch. Well, there you go then. I think you'll like this. I'm trying to get to it. I'm trying to get it. It's on that, because that Arrow video channel, I've had it now for a month. I don't really feel like I've had the good of it just yet because I've spent so much time watching so much stuff across so many platforms sure yeah um, well i've been locked down but there's so much stuff on there that when i first said that i got on it people came at me with recommendations and that cropped up a couple of times that there's so much stuff on there that i really want to make some time for yeah i'm actually blown away that this is a, a first feature i believe actually it's a graduation film by the director lucas fiegelfeld okay and yeah it's incredibly accomplished
accomplished for a first feature. It's really nice how often we're getting to say that about first features right now, I think. I think that's two weeks in a row. Yeah, great. So, Hagazusa, thumbs up, man. Yeah, yeah. And this box from Marrow Video is pretty cool as well. It's got the soundtrack in there, a couple of short films. Well, I say short films. One of these is 55 minutes, the other's 48. Oh, wow. Try getting those screened in the shorts block. Take it from me, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult when things get long but yeah all the usual writings and stuff like that as well it's uh, it's pretty cool nice now I do think that elsewhere we watched one of the same thing I think we might have kind of topical actually because I'm going to go on to talk about the uh, So Home Horror Festival which happened yesterday for uh, date stamp purposes <laughs> we're recording this on a Sunday morning one film that screened at the last Soho Festival that has since been acquired by Shudder we mentioned it on the streaming platforms last week but Brandon Christensen Z yeah yeah this is a uh, co-written and produced by by Colin Minahan. Who, best known for uh, What Keeps You Alive, right? Uh, also produced by Kurt Harder as well, who had a hand in What Keeps You Alive, and also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Spiral, which I mentioned on the show a little while ago, directed that, and also Harpoon. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, correct. Right, you go first then. So let's talk a little bit about what Z's actually about, and then get into what we thought of it. Yeah, Z is about a little boy called Josh, who has an imaginary friend, um, which starts obviously to concern his parents, or certainly his mother, as his behaviour becomes more and more erratic, and his behaviour I guess kind of spirals out of control like he's acting out he's swearing he's just generally one of those hollow-eyed little scary kids that you see in films after a while yep fair what did you think of this um I know a lot of people were saying oh it gets really scary in the second half I actually thought there's a point in a bath right I think that that's actually the point that the film gets less scary after that okay I prefer the stuff leading up to it like where there's a the, the kind of discovery of Z if you like and the, the is it real is there anything going on here? What is going on? Can I know you that? I mean, I, I, on the whole, I like this a decent amount for the kind of horror that it is. Yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that it was all right. What I would say is, after about maybe 20 minutes or so, I was kind of like thinking, it's like, okay, I largely think that I probably have this mostly figured out in terms of the kind of tropes we're going to hit and things like that. And I don't know if I'm necessarily entirely wrong that assumption to be honest having now seen it but what I would say is around about the half hour mark there is a kind of jump scare in it that is simultaneously a very well executed and well earned jump scare but also a really shocking event okay because I was kind of just like you know that thing where you kind of feel like you've got a film's number Mm -hmm. and you're like yeah okay and you can kind of feel yourself not check out but kind of starting to just kind of like mentally pull back from it a little bit and that pulled me right back in on the whole I thought it was pretty good I'd actually probably be inclined to agree with you in terms of the fact that I think that as this unravels and kind of has to do a little bit more showing. Yeah, it kind of has to explain itself a little bit to the detriment of the film, I think. So often the case with things like this. But yeah, I don't think that that should take away from the fact that I think that this is like a pretty accomplished film of this sort and it is like because the kind of things it was making me think of at the start was stuff like the prodigy very much so yeah yeah you've um, got that's what i'm talking about that kind of haunted eyes little kid yeah and i think that it does end up it comes out a fair bit ahead of those kinds of films mm-hmm. regardless of the things that i kind of ended up having slight gripes with about it i think that it's smarter and scarier proposition than those kinds of films even if it doesn't necessarily work all the way for me by the way i want to just say uh nice to see stephen mchattie turn up in there because i think he adds like a level of gravity the task to proceedings but uh playing exactly that kind of thing that i know you have a bit of an issue with the guy who turns up to kind of cliff notes things a yeah bit. i think it was about the 45 50 minute mark or so which is a little early for the review in these kinds of things I, when she goes back to see him and sits down i was like oh here we go <laughs> i know what's about to happen <laughs> i saw it coming earlier the first time she visits him with a little boy just as that scene's ending and she mentions z's name and he's like did you say z i was like oh Fuck! <laughs> That's what his role here is. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, yeah, I thought this was. I thought. I thought it was fine. Some pretty dodgy CG at one point that set my teeth on edge. Mm-hmm. Made me think a lot of Ryuk, the Shinigami from Death Note. I know where that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. If you're out for kind of like a smarter than average kind of jump scare movie, I would say that you could do a lot worse. Eighty three minutes as well. Doesn't yep. fuck about. Nice and lean. Nice and lean. You got anything else? Uh, well, only one thing. Ah, should we maybe hold off then? Because I have some stuff to dig into. Sure, fire away. You do what you need to do. Yeah, because I know what's coming. <laughs> um, uh, yesterday, Saturday, was the Sohome Horror Festival. So if anybody's unfamiliar with what this was slash is, our old pal Mitch Harrod, who you might remember from the Sea to Chucky and Elm Street 2 episodes of this show, is of course one of the directors of the Soho Horror Festival, which is all being well going to be having its third annual event in London in November. But uh, kind of as a lockdown boredom buster for fans of the festival and fans of horror, Mitch basically single-handedly programmed an entire day's festival, basically. A four features mm-hmm. in multiple shorts and a quiz from 11am to 11pm yesterday. He live-streamed the whole thing from a closed Facebook group, or kind of all the intros and things, and screened the films in this very clever kind of way that got them out to the people that needed to see them, but also was very kind of like piracy-averse and stuff like that. Gotta hand it to Mitch first off, because the range of stuff on offer was great. Guarantee there was something for everybody in there. Mitch doing what he does best, really just kind of like digging in and finding these really unusual things. Some of them worked for me, some of them didn't, but that's kind of part of it. So I just want to shoot through some of the features and shorts that were there that I kind of liked and weren't so hot on. Cool, okay. So Mm -hmm. there was a really clever kind of meta short called Dead Teenager Seance. (laughs) Okay. Directed by Rodrigo Gasparini and Dante Vecchio. I like this quite a bit. Very clever. Basically, you have a group of murdered teenagers who are stuck in limbo in the afterlife who summon their killer there. Right. So it's like, basically, it's kind of like an exact flip on a lot of conventions and things, and it's really, Mm -hmm. really fun. I like that quite a bit. Also, Zach Eglinton's allergic overreaction. Right. I've seen kind of listed and playing blocks at a lot of festivals, and it's kind of been one that I've been kind of keeping one eye on. So it was nice to get a chance to catch up with it here. Also, um, our old pal Matt Mercer in a uh, fairly pivotal role in this one. Oh, excellent. And uh, oh, big thanks to Matt for his message opening this episode. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This was really fun. It Basically, it's about a guy who accidentally feeds his pal something he's allergic to, and it just it escalates into the extremely bloody affair after that it's really really funny uh it's really nicely acted really nicely shot i thought it was really good my favorite shot of the day right so yeah that was zach eglinton's allergic overreaction also katie bonham's selfie stick oh yeah played as well which is pretty cool i like this film a lot a bit of a departure tonally and Katie's normal. It's way less kind of serious-faced okay. than a lot of the stuff that she's done. This, of course, screened in a BBC short block for iPlayer a f- couple of months back. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Which was a very cool platform, but also it kind of annoyed me that the way that those were presented didn't have any of the credits right. for the individual films, which was annoying to me. So it was nice to see it in kind of like the entire way it's intended to be seen. Oh, but, that's pretty cool. But yeah, uh, Katie keeps on doing interesting stuff, keeps on kind of challenging herself. It's cool. I liked it. Feature-wise, there was something in there called Witch Stars, right? which was kind of a little bit Astron 6-y, very kind of low-budget splattery kind of thing, which I found it pretty entertaining. Some people absolutely loved it. Right, okay. But uh, yeah, it was one of those things, I think that like I am quite keen on that kind of low-rent splatter when it's done well and a lot of the jokes in there were very funny but uh, I think that ultimately just like around about the hour mark I was kind of ready for it to be done sure. but it was a perfectly good choice and people really responded to it and I think that from a festival point of view it's the kind of thing that people would love if they were watching it in a room full of people Okay. also the closing film Chestersburg right. this went over really well it's a kind of shot in a documentary style about this village in England that secedes from the UK 
becomes its own sovereign state and makes murder not only legal but kind of like a national pastime. <laughs> okay. That's how uh, Jamie McKellar, the director, uh, described it in the intro. Yeah, I thought that this was okay, but people really loved it and I can totally see why. The gore in it's great, I have to say, but there's a very specific Britishness to the humour of it that I kind of retreat from, but a lot of people really like. Okay. Uh, okay. So I would say that like this didn't do a massive amount for me, but I would say it's more to do with like personal preference for me. It's no slight on the film at all. What it's doing, it does very well. Right, I see. But film of the day for me was Every Time I Die. Right. Now, if the title for that rings a bell, we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago uh, because it's available on Netflix now. Oh, right, okay. So you can go and check that one out with your ledger. But Every Time I Die is basically about a guy who gets murdered on this getaway with some friends to this kind of remote rural location. And after he dies, his consciousness pinballs between the other people that were there as he kind of tries to protect them and point them in the direction of the truth. Okay. Now, I think that being totally honest, when we first mentioned this on the streaming platforms thing, I think we kind of made light of it a little bit because the premise sounded kind of silly. I am quite happy to just <laughs> chow down on Humble Pie at this point because this film is fucking great. It's really, really good. Oh, right, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm like, going to check that out. It's really, really... It's, it's, it's kind of like one of those kind of more cerebral sci-fi affair, more than a horror thing, but still pretty violent and still pretty jarring in places, but it's really nicely acted. It's a really smart story. I really liked it. It's a, a smart piece of programming. It was kind of mid afternoon you've already watched the lake vampire which was a venezuelan thing in the morning which i quite liked and then which stars mm-hmm. so you kind of run the gauntlet a couple of things and it was nice just kind of like a little bit of a chin stroker for the <laughs> afternoon um but over and above anything else i think because th- this was a really really wild ambitious undertaking that mitch tried to do and he nailed it and the response was great and there was knocking onto like 100 people in the live room some of the time and things like that it's kind of proof that this kind of thing can be done right yeah yeah yeah. but i think that yeah uh, I've, I've got to hand it to mitch and i'm very much looking forward to hopefully being able to go to uh, the real thing in november certainly it's looking like stuff towards the end of year is more likely than stuff like i'd say at this stage things like fright fest are pretty yeah. much a no-go i'm mentally kind of making my peace with having to write off everything between now and the end of the year but i'm kind of hoping that these festivals at the back end might survive but we'll just have to wait and see yeah absolutely yeah but congrats to mitch that sounds fucking amazing like if i hadn't been absolutely busting my ass in the garden yesterday and then in bed by eight o'clock without <laughs> a joke and then I was hoping to have dropped in on it, but I, it was one of those things when I saw it on paper, I was like, lifting the turf from my garden is going to be a doddle. And then when it got to like 11 o'clock and I'd done like three squares, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, amazing stuff, Mitch. Well done. Very, very cool. Yeah. So before we turn our attentions to Friday, and I think that everyone knows what that would be, I have one more thing to address. <laughs> Mitch watches things on the 19th. Uh, yeah, he does. And uh, this week, I kept it a little bit obvious, to be honest. After watching some uh, fairly dense, fairly cerebral, fairly unpleasant and fairly plotless things, <laughs> yeah. I decided instead to watch I Know What You Did Last Summer this week, just for the sake of a revisit. Oh, okay, lovely. Yeah, um, it was kind of nice to go back to it. I also think that I might now rewatch I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. And also, just for the sake of completeness, although it's not a 90s film, because it came out a fair bit later, I may watch I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> Sure, you do that. Because what I would say is like that that like that's like, I know it's a straight to DVD sequel, but it's a straight to DVD sequel to a very big franchise that no one ever talks about. So I'm gonna go and dig that up. But what I would say about I know what you did last summer on Rewatch, apart from the fact that it is somehow more nineties than you remember, <laughs> is that it has substantially less fun with the premise than I remembered it did. <laughs> The sequel has much more fun. Like I've got a lot of time for I still know what you did last summer. 
Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to being able to side-by-side side them, hopefully by this time next week. Because, like I say, I did enjoy it, but I just remembered it having a bit more fun. Yeah, um, it's decidedly po-faced. It is a bit, isn't it? But yeah, just wanted to touch on that briefly. I will try and do I Still Know and maybe something else that's got nothing to do with this for a 90 side quest for next week. However... Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so after a postponement of last week's Smoky Thriller Fridays, we... Well, I mean, it was for a good reason. Absolutely it was, yeah. We returned to the Zoom mics on Friday evening for another installment. And uh-huh. uh, again, we turned our attentions to something that we mentioned on the streaming platforms a couple of weeks ago, Dangerous Lies. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A film that made me ask... What are the dangerous lies? Yeah, because, I mean, there's loads of dangerous stuff in here. I don't sure, think sure, that sure. there's there's any doubt about that. But, yeah, dangerous lies, not sure. It kind of reminds me of um, when we did the Lords of Illusion episode with Jonathan Barkan, and you asked who the Lord of Illusion was. <laughs> And then we realized that nobody knew. Yeah, I, I couldn't pin down what the dangerous lies were here. What you have here is a woman who is a caregiver to an 88-year-old man, played by Elliot Gold, who apparently is 81 in real life, who is looking good for it, I must say. Yeah, he looks worse here because he has some light stubble, but he still looks good for 80. Yeah, uh, looks good. Acting, not so much. Terrible, terrible performance. One. Phoning it in. Yeah, unusually appalling, I would say. He very abruptly dies and uh, leaves behind both his house and a vast amount of wealth to uh, his his caregiver who he's only known for a few months and her partner and basically what happens is she kind of gets embroiled in this increasingly suspicious and nefarious network of corruption and suspicion that surrounds all of this kind of stuff i was hoping that this would be both smokier and better <laughs> yeah yeah i've got to be honest the, the there was barely a wisp of smoke certainly not the plumes i was hoping for certainly not the plumes that accompanied an affair to die for which i would say is still top of the pile from this venture definitely definitely that i mean some of the other ones we've watched are pretty low grade uh, sp- specifically fanatic oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah there was some flashes of excellence in here where we thought oh yes can you smell that can you smell that? You know, like when you're like out and about and you're walking and you can smell someone in the distance has got like a coal fire and you're like, <laughs> somebody somewhere has got a coal fire. It was like that, but when you kind of hunted it down, it was nothing. That's great. Um, yeah, I think that this was a frustrating thing. The annoying thing about Dangerous Lies is that it is pretty well made from a technical angle. Yeah, there was some pretty cool camera stuff going on in here, and it looked fine. But yeah, the performances, particularly of the big names, like Jamie Chung's in here as well, who was in uh, Sucker Punch, which we've covered on the show before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, not great in this either. She might be the most autopilot of anyone in here, I think. Mm. And that guy, whose first name's Cam, and whose surname I can't pronounce, that was in Twilight. Oh, it's got loads of G's well. and E's in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing the most outwardly villainous character you've ever seen. Like, the minute he comes on screen, you're like, he's the bad guy. I mean, that's barely a spoiler, because he might as well have, like, a kind of fake moustache made out of felt to make him look more like a 1930s villain. He looks like he should be tying people to train tracks. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dangerous Lies, pile of pish, in my humble opinion. I would say that <laughs> um, if you're looking for a smoky thriller of your own for a smoky thriller Friday that you may have yourself in the home, I would say your time is much more productively spent on an affair to die for. Yeah, and I'm going to say, Mitch, I don't mind putting this out into the world. This was your choice. Yes, I will throw myself on that one. Uh, 
uh, on that grenade. So that was my call. So as a result, I have quite justifiably been stripped of programming privileges. <laughs> and uh, you and Jackie have to pick next week's one. Yeah, and uh, I've been having a look. I've got some uh, interesting things that I want to bring to the table and get your thoughts on. And Excellent. hopefully we can kind of elevate this back into the realms of, like, I mean, dangerous levels of smoke. You know, the fire brigade tell you to lie on your belly so you don't die. Yeah, that. that level of smoke. I want it to sting my eyes. Exactly. Burn exactly. my ears. Now you're talking. <laughs> so, we will pray for better days this time next week. In the meantime, though... What have they been saying? It is feedback time, and thanks to everybody who's been getting in touch this week. And foremost, thank you to Natasha Kamani, returning this week to talk Aeon Flux with us, which was great fun. Uh, always nice to hear from Natasha, catch up with what's been going on with her in the 87 episodes since she was last on talking Joining the Monarch. Had a great time talking about Aeon Flux, and... And a few of you had some things to say about that as well. Yeah, I'm just going to start here, Mitch, by saying that Saltire Popcorn has some thoughts on Natasha herself. Okay. Natasha Kermani definitely cements her place in the roster of top guests between this and Johnny Mnemonic. No offence to other guests, all guests are equal. Some are just more equal than others. <laughs> I'd be inclined to agree. Uh, both the episodes that we've had with Natasha have been a great time. Yeah, and I just want to say Kevin's opinions do not reflect mine and Mitch's. Absolutely not. No, and while, while we do love having Natasha on the show... We love all of our guests. Certainly do. We love all of our children equally. I've got Dave Shakes, the Shakes72 on Twitter. Looking forward to episode 101. The Aeon Flux animation was brilliant when it hit the scene in 1991. <laughs> and the film was one of those times I'd experienced studios messing up something I loved to supposedly widen its appeal unsuccessfully. Rewatch calling. Very interested to know what Dave thinks on the other side of a rewatch, actually. Yeah, it's crazy actually thinking about Aeon Flux and the fact that they tried to make this film of a relatively unknown MTV cartoon in the attempt to try and get at this wider audience and just failing so terribly like it's such a weird property to have chosen yeah it does seem that way it seems like a very eccentric choice uh, for something to kind of try and drag into the mainstream mm-hmm so actually, Mitch, you told a lie a minute ago because I don't think either of us have anything else on Aeon Flux at this particular point. Ah, okay. Um, in that case, I want to say a quick hello to film fan Stevie, who is going through a little bit of cinematic masochism while he's on lockdown. Stevie, of course, did mention earlier on this week as well that he was uh, missing the Curzon Soho, his usual yeah. listening spot as well for the show. Um, I've got to be honest, I think Stevie's going a bit stir-crazy. Well, I would say that that's quite possible, to be honest, because yeah. he did mention mm-hmm. last week that he'd watched uh, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny from the 70s, which looks like an absolute... <laughs> atrocity like it looks like absolute fucking nightmare fuel if i'm being totally it looks honest. scary it does it does i think it's supposed to be a kid's film but uh yeah it's horrifying um, you know that way like sometimes you see people like I, I guess an example would be meet the feebles right uh-huh but this is like 20 years before meet the feebles and the stuff looks really janky and really like badly put together and like the bunny itself is just this really ratty feral looking horrible thing <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's like cobbled together just from bits of fluff just stapled onto a man. It looks horrible. I mean, like we, we have to watch it. <laughs> um, but in the spirit of that, Stevie continues doing what he's describing as scraping the bottom of the cinematic battle. And this week he watched something called Ega. <laughs> That's E-E-G-A-H. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. No, 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 no. Back to 1962 for Ega, though. Yeah, um, I would, I'm would. i going to hazard a guess, right, just based on the information presented in the poster that this is aged quite poorly, right? So what we have is uh, Iga, uh, the name written in blood is the tagline. It's one of the two taglines, anyway. And the main tagline for this is uh, the crazed love of a prehistoric giant for a ravishing teenage girl. Yeah, and I've got to say, down at the bottom of this poster, it also says, Primitive passions turned on. Love Primitive. the time barrier. <laughs> Jesus fuck. 
<laughs> okay. Um, it's quite enough. Point two out of ten. Oh, that's better than uh, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. Um, do you have anything else? I was going to say, do you have anything else on Ega? I'm going to hazard a guess that you don't. <laughs> Not yet. I will next week. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say a quick hello to Chelsea Stardust, ah. um, actually, who dropped us a wee tag this week. She was talking about the last drive-in uh, with Joe Bob Briggs airing on Shudder. Of course, we kind of get a kind of fragmented version of that in the UK, but I am quite enjoying watching our American counterparts kind of trade trivia and things like that as they watch them sure, yeah. on Friday evenings. And uh, Brain Damage featured this week. So uh, Chelsea was quick to get in on that, as I'm sure you'd imagine. Yeah, and just uh, point people in the direction of the episode that she did with us a while ago, which is lovely. Yeah, she just mentioned the fact that she first caught up with Brain Damage in a Hen and Lotter Triple Bill, which I think she mentioned on the show. And uh, she became obsessed with it and did point everybody in the direction of episode 65 uh, of the show where she stopped by to do brain damage. So a big thank you to Chelsea for that. Yeah, absolutely. I am going to just uh, talk a little bit about the live show that we did last week. Yes, yes, yes. Laura Bynan getting in touch to say, last night a celebration with a strong, violent PC community. 100 episodes, here's to at least 101. <laughs> P.S. Live Podbean should be regular these days. Leave it with us, Laura. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to come right out and say much. Probably the week after next, we will do a live watch-along. Yes, more information on that to come, and we'll be looking for your input on which film we pick and stuff like that, but we are kind of plotting doing a live watch-along on Podbean Live, and we'll be telling you a little bit more about that, hopefully next week on the Minisode. Yep, and thanks for getting in touch, as always, Laura. Yes, lovely to hear from you. Sticking with live things, and indeed the watch-along that I just mentioned, Barry Delgano at Delgano Barry is suggesting that we do Outbreak, because it's on Amazon Prime now. No, no, veto, no, no chance. <laughs> what do you no, mean, no? I appreciate the sentiment, it's topical and everything, but the there's enough of that out there. I'm not bringing it in here. <laughs> I refuse. Sure. We're also not doing like contagion. Cosmic Ray Girl, Alexis. Yes. About last week's Minisode, saying that she loved Jill Six's intro on the Minisode and uh, can't wait for Anaconda 3. It's in the works, Alexis. We've actually had a couple of exchanges with Jill just recently trying to figure out when we're going to make that happen. So watch this space. And uh, just before we move on, I uh, just want to say a quick hello to uh, Andre Martins, formerly Kalar Han, now Einfach Andre on Twitter, uh, <laughs> saying, uh, working towards the 200% club, never expected to listen to two Scots talking about cinematic misfires for 100 plus episodes, but can't wait for the next 100. Andre, we're very happy to have you here. And we're glad that you took a punt on two Scottish guys talking a load of shite about cinematic misfires. Yeah, and do you know what? I'm glad that it translates fine to a German. Yes, I'm kind of fascinated by the reach of this thing and when people pick it up in other countries and stuff like that. So, Andre, thanks very much for, one, checking us out and two, sticking with us. Good to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you got anything else before we move on? I don't. Okay, in that case... I wonder how many times I've done that. I think you did it right from the very beginning of when we ran it, so that would be approaching maybe 80 or something like that, because obviously like, uh, Mitch's Pitches was introduced fairly early on in the show, but hasn't been there from the beginning. Jesus. Um, but it is time for Mitch's Pitches. If you're not familiar, then uh, this is a really, really confusing week to join it, because we're going to be doing two. Uh, Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment while we're recording. Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will have photoshopped out the title and the tagline, any other identifying text only the image will remain my job will be to describe the image and probably the border to the best of my ability <laughs> and uh give it a title and a synopsis we'll also share this all over social media so you guys can play along at home as well 
Now, before we get into this past week's one, uh, we do want to just very quickly look at the uh, Mitch's pictures that we did on the live show. Yeah. Uh, which that picture wasn't on Facebook because I look after the Facebook, so I couldn't post it there because I would have seen it. So sure, we needed to course, keep it spontaneous, yes. but we did put it on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, that was the Willies, reappropriated by me as a deadly intent to Skype's owner. <laughs> and um, reappropriated elsewhere, just very quickly, just want to, just for fun, just shoot through. We had a couple of people pitch kind of in the moment for this. And I just want to give them a quick mention because it's pretty good. Uh, Cosmic Ray Girl, 1984's tent polling. <laughs> Hanny underscore Ray, two kids camping in their garden telling scary stories, awakened to find they've been magically transported to a forest and being hunted by a creature. But who is the weird grown-up who claims to have been stuck here since he was their age? It's scary stories to tell in National Park. <laughs> Okay. And uh, Chris Salt on Twitter. Ah, yes, a friendly bog creature rescues three kids on a camping trip when their tent's geometry mysteriously slides into the fifth dimension. 1987's Backwoods Bother, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you, Chris. So let's turn our attentions, though, to this past week's pitch image. Very similar thematically. Yes, I would say that that is fair. So uh, last week we had the forest. Mm -hmm. uh, reappropriated by me as Beware Schmidt's in the Woods beats, shoots, and cleaves. <laughs> <laughs> that's right which I don't think got enough credit at the time but fine loads of people got in touch with uh, some very very strong pitching on this one I have to say so a couple from Instagram first then CP Buckley Simon and Teresa killed a man <laughs> excellent <laughs> decided to return to the woods where they first met three years earlier after surviving a serial killer's rampage. I quite like that, that a romance starts mm -hmm. being the joint survivors. That's good. Being the only survivors of the horrifying night and believing that the killer is dead and that they were safe. However, it turns out the killer has an equally murderous brother. That's unlucky. Now being the only two in the woods and knowing that one of them has to die. Why? The pair tried to escape in 1983's ill-advised comedy horror sequel, Killer Camp 4. Why did we come back? <laughs> Uh, Kian, our friend, getting in touch with his first pitch ever. Not too Kian on Instagram. Exciting. Bear Grylls-esque, highly energetic yet inept TV woodsman Jack Dupp takes a young couple into the wilderness for his latest pilot, Got Wood Skills, in which he tests whether the pair's love can survive extreme woodland circumstances. But when he mistakenly <laughs> eats the wrong mild mushrooms and consumes a mind and body altering fungus, Jack turns violent and grows by about 16 feet. Can this couple's love and physical well being survive this unforeseen fight for survival? <laughs> Find out in 1981's classic teen horror, Jack's a Giant Slayer. Sure. <laughs> Jack's a Giant Slayer. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. That's great. Hanny underscore Ray, a couple enjoying a camping trip, find themselves the latest victims of local slasher legend and supposedly undead woodsman Chuck Etten. Can they escape his blade or will they meet their end to the killer woodsman? This Chuck chops more than wood. Ooh, okay. Tony Constantine, when idiot college jock Johnny Pinecones invites naive Barbara Goodwood to go camping in the conspicuously named Forest of Evil... Things take a sinister, if somewhat predictable, turn when fabled giant tree sex demon Lumbericus tries to get involved in their midnight shenanigans. But when they reject his outstretched branch, can Johnny and Babs outrun his giant knife? Two's company trees a crowd in 1983's shithouse classic, Unexpected Timber Day to the sappy ending of Goodwood and Pinecones. <laughs> you can't hear the forest for the screams. <laughs> <laughs> and finally a very warm welcome back to chris salt oblong pictures on twitter absolutely in a secret research facility deep in the heart of the norwegian forests rogue physicist lars hedron collider is tinkering with the very fabric of reality 
When some nearby teens on a camping trip inadvertently drive a tent peg through a power line at a critical moment, the wayward boffin is caught in a collapsing waveform that first causes him to grow to enormous size and then to partially phase out of her existence into a parallel dimension. Now, with only his two enormous eyes and right hand remaining in our reality, he's unable to continue his experiments and find a way to reverse his predicament. So he resolves to wreak horrific and bloody vengeance by grotesquely mutilating the hapless campers with a huge knife that he had lying around. An implausible 1987 techno fable, The Eyes of Mauler Lars. Oh, clever wordplay there. I agree. So that's your lot for this week. I think a really high standard again. Mm, yeah, I'm going to give the best character name to Chris for Lars Hadron Collider. Yep, like that a lot. Like that a lot. Nice pronunciation um, too. I believe that, that is the correct pronunciation of that name. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I, I know someone called Hadron Collider, so I'm, I'm kind of au fait with how it's pronounced. Okay, okay. Very cultured of you. And uh, best pitch? Yeah. Oh, best pitch to Tony. I'd be inclined to agree. I think that that was pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> I just like sappy ending. <laughs> so that's unexpected timber date. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tony and Chris, congratulations. You are this week's winners. Uh, Rab, the delivery driver, is on his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess it's my turn. I'm very excited about this. Okay. What you got for me? Because you have been, I would say, keeping it relatively simple over the last few weeks. So I'm assuming that you're going to be continuing down that road today. Well, what I'll say is, on the surface, this image looks quite simple. But when you zoom in and have a scoot about, there's quite a lot to unpack. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Right. Uh, You hit send on that one? Yeah, it should be with you. Oh, yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Got it. Oh, my God. Okay. Right. Um, Let's see what we got here. Okay. So uh, first and foremost... Uh, non-existent border on this, just plain white. I think you'll find that there's a red line near the bottom, which, I mean, it's part of a border. Maybe. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. I'd say. I'm, I'm not going to say it's a border, but yeah, bears a mention. Uh, <laughs> red line there. Um, in the main image, uh, Jesus fucking Christ, this is a weird one. Okay, so uh, we have a child with a kind of fairish hair and a bowl cut. He looks a bit like Brahms. <laughs> um, for the boy. Okay. Um, but he's wearing a red turtleneck and uh, a pair of light blue jeans. He is holding a... He's, he's a really creepy-looking kid, actually. Yeah, fairish hair, like I say, kind of bowl-cut. Can't really see what colour his eyes are. Uh, but very, very piercing. Yeah, very piercing. And yeah, kind of like quite ornate features, I would say. Um, he is holding a teddy bear. Uh, something's going on with the teddy bear's eyes. Uh, they're glowing. <laughs> fairly vibrant shade of orange. Also, the teddy bear's right hand is missing. And in mm. the kid's right hand, he is holding a couple of Polaroids that look to be either racy or of dead bodies. Oh, they're definitely naked women. They're definitely na- they're definitely naked people. I can't really see. Yeah, anyway, yes, either way. I see breasts and a thatch of pubic hair. Okay, um, I'm, I'm going to say, like, you know, they're pretty salacious. Certainly yeah, certainly true. not the kind of thing that a kid of this age should be uh, should, should be browsing through. Also in the image, we have got this kind of, uh, this patch of long grass that occupies kind of the bottom third of the picture. There are in there the bright demonic eyes and fangs of uh, some creatures that are uh, marauding around. Also see a pair of uh, hands, I'm going to say kind of like quite feminine looking hands, reaching from the grass. The left hand of the pair is being dragged kind of back into the undergrowth by a kind of grey, again, kind of like a creature, kind of like a, a kind of monstrous hand. It's grey with a, a fang, not fang, a claw, certainly on <laughs> the thumb. Right, okay. So uh, there you go. Uh, Jesus Christ, that's a lot of stuff. A distressed feminine hands dragged back into the undergrowth by a pack of demonic animals of some kind with bright orange eyes as a creepy looking child and his stuffed animal look on as the child also leafs through adult photography. 
Have you compensated for the last couple of weeks being so mellow by just giving me the busiest image ever? Perhaps, perhaps. Um, yeah, I just, I, I liked that, that it, on the surface, you're like, oh, okay. Then the, the closer you get, you're like, this is very disconcerting. Yeah, the further, like the deeper you dive into it, the more kind of layers reveal themselves. I'm going to need more than a minute on this one. Well, okay, no problem. You, you, you've got it. Thanks so much. say though you were talking about a boy of this age shouldn't be leafing through photos of naked ladies I, this boy's kind of indeterminate age to me but i would say he's maybe 10 11 yeah i would say that's reasonable i would say he's probably too old for the teddy bear and almost the right age to be looking at that stuff <laughs> come on son you're 10 it's time for your sexual awakening Let's get in the fucking loft. There's a pile of magazines. <laughs> right. Okay. Are you ready? No, I'm halfway through, to be honest. I normally save this for live shows, but can I have some more time? Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, okay. Thanks. When did you see your first porno mag? Um, I'd say I was probably about maybe like thirteen or something, right? Potentially, okay. uh, yeah, uh huh. It's not like sticking out as a particularly vivid memory, but if I was putting a kind of a, if I was putting a rough timestamp on it, I would say it would be about thirteen. What about you? Uh, probably about probably about eleven or twelve. It was the classic uh, pawn in the bushes scenario. Right, okay, okay. I always I always find it weird that that is such a ubiquitous thing. I've never understood it myself. It is a strange one. Right, okay. Uh, I think I'm just about there. I just, I tried to include as much of the stuff as possible here, but then en- okay. but ended up disappearing down a couple of different rabbit holes, so this might be a little bit scatterbrained. You're going to have to bear with me. Okay. Right, you ready? <laughs> I'm very excited. I've also, I've also wildly got the year wrong. I'm confident of that, but it was just to accommodate some of the comparisons I was making. Sure. Okay. Isolated, porcelain-faced introvert Theo leads a life of quiet seclusion with his parents on their farm, never fitting in at school because of his fondness for man-spreading and anachronistic Mr. Rogers sweaters. His parents buy him a stuffed bear from a suspicious hooded roadside vendor for companionship, ignoring the man's repeated warnings that the bear carries a curse with the potential for deadly consequences in the wrong hands, Mandy and Bill flout the warnings and give the toy to Theo with none of the advice provided. Things soon take an interesting turn when household items start disappearing or moving in the night and cryptic messages start appearing on the kitchen chalkboard. With each parent thinking the other is keeping Theo entertained with elf-on-the-shelf-like shenanigans, they obliviously encourage Theo's idea of setting up a YouTube channel serializing the bear's antics. Expecting the largely tedious content to attract a small following, Mandy and Bill are shocked when, almost overnight, the channel attracts half a million subscribers, and things turn sinister when sensitive photos from their cloud storage start being intercut with the videos. As they attempt to get to the bottom of the channel's devoted following and the shocking leak of the teddy bear's dick pics, little do they know that the bear is inhabited by the ghost of a vengeful Mayan overlord, and the cryptic incantations scrawled on the wall are the hallmarks of the coming animatronic bear apocalypse, with devoted followers the world over finally able to mobilize their own possessed bears and their furry fists of fury, what starts as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival as thousands of bears descend on the farm, hungry both for blood and to reunite with their exiled leader. The Jungle Book collides with the ring and the sacrament in 2015's terrifying tech horror, The Viral Bear Case. Bring me the head of Teddy's Deadly Teddy. 
<laughs> to me, I was getting vibes there of the Child's Play remake. Oh, yeah. 2012 mm-hmm. and The Invitation. I'm happy enough with all of those. Yeah, also good comparisons. <laughs> right, okay. So I have swung exceptionally wild in almost all possible directions there. So uh, wow, let's, dis- let's distill this right down to the key points. How wrong am I and in what respect? Firstly, I want to say Teddy Bear's dick pics. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> what year did you say? I said 2015, so I could mention the sacrament. <laughs> Okay, uh, it was 1981. Oh, so close. Carry on. <laughs> and the film is The Pit. The Pit, eh? Okay. So what's this about? And more importantly, who's telling us? Now, I think we've had this character before on IMDb, okay. but this week's synopsizer is Jeremy Lunt. Oh, that does ring a bell. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, so what's Jeremy saying about The Pit? 12-year-old Jamie Benjamin is a misunderstood lad. His classmates pick on him, his neighbours think he's weird, and his parents ignore him. But now Jamie has a secret weapon. Deep in the woods, he has discovered a deep pit full of man-eating creatures he calls trogs. And it isn't long before he gets an idea for getting revenge and feeding the trogs in the process. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay, you know what I'm about to ask? Yeah, quite like this. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Not the viral bear case. Bring me the head of Teddy's Deadly Teddy, then. Definitely not. No. Okay, that image is everywhere. That concludes Mitch's pitches for this week. Get pitching. I get the impression that you guys are going to do well with this one. Yes, definitely. Mm. I'd be surprised if you didn't. So, turning our attentions to the streaming platforms, then a whole bunch of stuff again, i got to say. So, let's take a look first at uh, Netflix, then. Mm-hmm. Now, on Monday, today, if you're listening on air date, we have got season three of the Nordic crime drama Border Town. While juggling concerns about his family's future and a spate of new crimes, Kari squares off against an adversary who's been studying his past cases. Also, I think this sounds really good. Season one today of Inhuman Resources. Alan, unemployed and 57, is lured by an attractive job opening, but things get ugly when he realises he's a pawn in a cruel corporate game. Ooh. Thursday the 14th, we've got The Delivery Boy. A teen criminal and a young sex worker forge an unlikely alliance during a night that forces them to confront painful pasts and crises of conscience. On Friday, we have season one of White Lines. Zoe Walker leaves her quiet life behind to investigate her brother's disappearance in Ibiza, where she quickly heads down a decadent and dangerous path. Season one also of Parasite The Maxim, which is a horror anime series. A teenager battles an onslaught of parasites from space with the help of Migi, a docile parasitic creature that's taken over his right hand. So gremlins. Basically. And uh, also we've got a smoky series alert, I would say. (laughs) Um, Season one of Sleepless Society, Two Pillows and a Lost Soul. I can hear you rubbing your hands with glee over there. Um, a motivational speaker about to divorce her abusive husband wakes up from a wild party one morning to find... A dead body. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds amazing. And also we have the film Aerials. Dubai residents struggle to figure out why a fleet of alien spaceships are hovering over their city when all contact with the outside world is cut off. I also wouldn't be sure why a fleet of alien spaceships was hovering over my city, so fair enough. No, definitely not. Uh, turn our attentions briefly then at Sky Cinema. On Thursday, we've got The Headhunter, a medieval warrior's gruesome collection of heads is missing only one, that of the monster who killed his daughter years ago. Mm. Sunday, we've also got State Like Sleep. A woman grapples with the consequence of her celebrity husband's double life after he commits suicide. This one stars 
Catherine Waterston, Michael Shannon, and Luke Evans. Oh, nice. Uh, from okay. a couple of years back. And uh, Shudder got your back once again. Today we have got today we've got Smoke and Mirrors, the story of Tom Savini, a documentary about the life of Tom Savini. The film covers his early days in Pittsburgh and his rise to stardom as Hollywood's most sought-after special effects wizard. So that's from 2015. That's out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on Monday, we've got Bernard Rose's Frankenstein from 2015. A married scientist couple create a modern-day monster. Uh, this is about a 3D printed Frankenstein. Uh, I saw this at Fright Fest a few years ago. Uh, it stars Carrie Fisher and, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Xavier Dolan from The Loved Ones. Yeah, okay. Uh, have you seen this? No. It's a bit of a watch once and destroy film for me because it's so miserable, but it's really, really good. Right, okay. Uh, really, really recommend this, actually. I think it's superb. Also, um, today, we've got June landing on uh, Shudder, which is from 2015, and also is directed by our pal El Gustavo Cooper, who you may remember from the uh, Versus uh-huh. episode of this show. Yeah. June is a nine-year-old orphan girl who shares her body with an ancient supernatural being whose mission is to destroy mankind to allow nature to prevail on Earth. Ooh, lovely. And finally, on Thursday on Shudder, we've got Monstrum. Yoon Yem is a loyal subject of King Jung Jong of Joseon. He struggles to fight against a monster that threatens the king's life, and a group of people try to depose him. So that's Monstrum. That's on Thursday. That's your lot for the streaming platforms this week. I'm going to go for a pick personally this week, Bernard Rose's Frankenstein on Shudder, which is available from today. I think that it's great, and I think that a lot of you guys would like it too if you haven't seen it. I'm going to go for that smoky thriller series. Oh, wait. So sorry. What you're saying is your pick for this week is uh, Sleepless Society, Two Pillows and a Lost Soul. You know what it is, bitch. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? So lots of good stuff. If you're checking out any of that, get in touch with us through the usual channels. Let us know what you think of it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, looking ahead to this week, Mitch, we're feeling generous. Yeah. Now, we have obviously kind of had this thing that we need to address, which obviously a couple of Fridays ago, we did have episode 100, which was live, Mm -hmm. but has not yet been released out into the world. But also, we didn't want to disrupt our release schedule either. And also, we didn't want to drop it midweek as kind of bonus content because, you know, it's an episode in its own right and we want people to be able to check it out. We want to give it some proper airspace. Yes, absolutely. So what we've decided to do is uh, this Friday, we're going to do a double episode drop. You will have episode 100, the live episode, the Andy versus Mitch Podbean Live episode where we talked about Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. But we're also going to be releasing episode 102, wherein our guest is a filmmaker who I'm really, really intrigued by. He's got a couple of things already out there that I think are great. He is the director of the short film The Babysitter Murders and also the Fright Fest Glasgow anthology selection, The Mortuary Collection. It's Ryan Spindell. Yes, and uh, this this was a really great chat. And on the surface, it might seem like it's perhaps going to be a bit more serious, but I think it actually turned out pretty fun because we're going back to 1976 for a film that is awesome, but could do with a little more love, I think. Mm-hmm. It's Burnt Offerings. Yeah, Burnt Offerings. So this is not the most accessible film over here unless you're uh, pitching up for a Blu-ray. Is it not in the Arrow Video channel? I don't think it is, you know, but it is available on YouTube there as well. So if you do want to get caught up with it, there's a few avenues that you can do it. But yeah, this Friday, we are doing a double episode drop, kind of partially because it's kind of cleaner for us but also because you know it might be able to help ease some kind of quarantine blues out there as well who knows yeah yeah well nothing if not generous so we've got the Andy versus Mitch live episode on prom night 2 and also episode 102 where Ryan Spindell joins us to talk burnt offerings both dropping on Friday how are you feeling about that get in touch with us through all the usual channels if you want to talk to us about any of those things Facebook and Instagram we're Strong Language Violent Scenes you can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com Yes, and our website is strongviolentpod.com where you can find all the relevant information you would possibly need to listen to us to buy your merchandise and hopefully once all this crap disappears, 
where you'll find dates on where you can come and see us in the flesh. Yes, all this and more. We're back on Friday. More Andy invention than you can shake a stick at. So uh, good luck with that. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 